Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of The Block Church. I wanna thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. Let's, let's dive in It's sit with me Sunday, just a little extra emphasis on inviting. And, uh, and, and, and if you're a guest with us today, we're real honored you're here. We're actually studying the book of 2 Corinthians. We're studying the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, today, we're gonna hit most of 2 Corinthians chapter seven. Have you enjoyed studying the word of God together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. Um, I want to ask you a question, anybody, and please don't shout out, but at all of our locations, anybody have any big regrets in their life? And no, you cannot elbow the person next to you, okay. Um, so, uh, you know, I try to live my life with, with no regrets, um, but life happens and sometimes you get them, you know? And I remember, uh, this is not a regret, <laughs> I'm just setting you up with a story. I, I, we'll be married 12 years uh, this summer, uh, my wife and I, and... So when we went on our honeymoon, like my parents, they paid for our honeymoon. So we went on a cruise and we had like a nice kind of ocean view and balcony and it was a good sized room. And something we wouldn't have been able to have afforded when we first got married. But my mom and my dad took care of that part of their wedding gift. And so that was cool. We had a great time, great cruise, whatever. Well, a year later, you know, we want to go on our first vacation as a married couple, but now we got to pay for it, you know? And so, so we find this like, you know, just, we, it was, man, it was ghetto, man. It was just, there's no way around. But we didn't know any better, you know? Like we were, we were young and wild and free. And, uh, and so we just uh, kind of found this, like, we we're like, wow, what a deal. We get to go to the Caribbean. And so we find this little cruise and immediately upon arrival, regret begins to form. And it's not a big ship. It's, it's, it's a smaller big ship. And, uh, and you know, a little bit, there, it wasn't as like, there was some rust on the outside of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so I can already feel my, my year old wife um, already fuming inside at me. And, and so anyway, we go into the boat and not a lot of amenities, you know, uh, there wasn't, you know, all the fancy things. And when we got to the room, it was not the same. <laughs> And I was like, I am going to be in trouble. <laughs> and uh, then they took us to this other hotel when we arrived uh, at somewhere, wherever we went. And we sat there at that hotel waiting to check into a room for a night for four hours. And I mean, the, the amount of regret, of course we made the best of it, but the food was bad and the ship was whack. And it was just, have you ever had a moment like that? And uh, needless to say, we made the best of it. How could she not have a great time with me? <laughs> and we figured it out. Uh, but no doubt we had a little bit of regret from that vacation. But you know, sometimes regret teaches us things. Sometimes bad decisions, although they have consequences, sometimes they can lead to better outcomes when we learn from these things. And friends, listen to me, the greatest regret you will ever have in your life is to live your whole life without being right with your maker. There's two ways to regret that. 
the first way is to waste your whole life, not living in the purposes of God, get to the end, get right with God and having wasted your life. The other is, is you've lived your whole life for yourself and never get right with God and spent eternity separated from God, which is a truth and a reality. But the Bible makes it very clear that sadness on missing out of the world, missing out on the things the world offers, actually that sort of sadness leads to regret, death, and it lacks repentance. But there is an element of godly sorrow that when I walk away from my sin and there's a joy of walking away from the things the world has to offer and walking into the purpose with God. And when you walk in that, you will never regret that. So I wanna preach a message today on this Sit With Me Sunday 2024. I wanna title it, No Regrets. No Regrets. Anybody wanna live a life of no regrets? Come on, look at somebody next to you and tell them, I don't regret you. I don't regret you. <laughs> Someone's like, ah, I lied in church. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 1. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. Okay, so what Paul's doing here is he's basically continuing what he already started writing in the previous chapter in chapter six, which we preached about last week. Paul is basically reiterating the language, hey, it's important, believer, that you break up with the world. The commandment to come out from among them or be separate, be separate, be different, be, be peculiar, uh, be unique. It is coupled with this promise. When you separate from the world, God says, I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and my daughters. You, you cannot be one with the world and then look like your father. In other words, the world can't be your father and God be your father as well. If we separate ourselves from worldly thinking and acting, we are promised a closer, a more vibrant, miraculous life in the spirit. It is out of our being sons and daughters, our adoption into the kingdom, we work towards holiness and righteous living and more than working towards it, we actually desire it. I wanna show you something that happened last week. I'm gonna show you a picture. It's a little collage of baptisms. And at all of our locations last week, if you're not aware, we baptized 100 people in one day. That is insane. There was almost 1,600 people at the Block Church last week. I, I wanna be honest and tell you that uh, as we were planting this church, I had the faith for that. And I was like, oh boy, one day. But you know, there were some doubts uh, through, through some of it that, man, would we ever have a day like this? And it was amazing to watch and for you, I believe, to experience this. And what was even more amazing for me personally as a pastor and as a leader, because I find my most pleasure and my most happiness when the people in our church and when our leaders are leading and when under shepherds are shepherding, I was actually preaching in Cincinnati, Ohio last week. I wasn't even here for the Miracle Sunday. 
but you, but it didn't, it went off without a hitch. Why? Because you are the church. You lead your community. You lead your locations. You bring your people. I'm just a, I'm just a mouthpiece. And I love this. And I want to bring our attention to this because I, I, I think it's important for you, for you to realize if you were one of those people who got baptized, let me just speak for, for you for a moment. Okay. Here's what those people, the hundred people who went into a tank last week, here's what they were saying. They were saying that sin kills and doesn't satisfy. I fear God because he's God in a good way. And I have to get in this tank because I realize my sin is killing me and I need new life in Christ. Secondly, they're saying that they're on a journey and while baptism doesn't complete them, it initiates a process that God completes everything he starts. Thirdly, they broke up with the world because it comes up empty and they know it. That heaven will be their home forever. And if I miss some stuff in this world, so be it. I'm good with that because I got Jesus. Lastly, nobody who was in the tank last week has any regrets about following Jesus. They did, however, have regrets about staying in the world, which is why they got in the tank. You understand, friends, that those who choose to follow Jesus, those whose hearts have been arrested by Jesus, those who really love the Lord, while at times there are things in this life that are enticing, There are things in this life that trip us up. At the end of the day, at the core of who believers are, there is nothing you can offer me in this world that compares to knowing, being with, experiencing Jesus. I got no regrets leaving this behind. And in verse five, Paul says, when we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction, with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. Verse six, I love this. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. Let's look at verse six again. I want to read it again. But God, actually say it with me, but God, God. who who encourages those who are discouraged. If you're discouraged today, we serve a God who encourages those who are discouraged. See, Titus arrived in Macedonia to encourage Paul about the Corinthian church he's writing about. Paul loved this church so much. And this, in the midst of great trial and tribulation, this actually brought Paul's spirits up when he heard that they were doing well. I love that because friends, In Christ Jesus, you can be going through the worst of times, but still find encouragement and how God is using you, what God's doing in you and through you and for others. The theme of God encouraging those who are discouraged, friends, is all through the Bible. We see the phrase, do not be afraid, 365 times in the Bible. This also can be connected to be strong and courageous, meaning that experiencing some doubt or even fear, it's okay. 
You don't have to feel guilt or shame when you feel and sense a little bit of doubt. Even Paul says, trouble around us, fear within us, but it didn't mean that his faith was shaken. God will encourage you through many avenues, his word, preaching, others, his presence, like earlier, divine moments, unexpected scenarios, great stories. But I want you to know something that here, God never speaks and God never propagates depression, fear, shame, anxiety. We serve the God of all comfort and peace. So you could be feeling fear, but God is not going to compound it. He's not going to tell you to lean into that. You could be sensing some anxiety. God is not going to add to that. No, God is your way out of that. You can be doubting God or his coming through in your life and still experience all the comfort, peace, and courage needed. Your faith, listen to me, can be unshakable because it's not oriented around doubt. It's oriented around movement. It's oriented around giving up. And friends, that's where regret comes in. We never regret being bold, courageous, faith-filled. We never regret taking steps of faith. We never regret saying, okay, God, prove yourself. Not in a arrogant or, 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 or prideful way, but in the life I live, you will never regret going, okay, God, show me who you are. I'm gonna move. And I know that if I take a few steps, you're gonna take way more towards me. I think sometimes we make faith and we make journeying with God more complicated than it needs to be. I want to play you a video of my daughter as a reminder of how simple it can be. Watch this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So once to him belong, they are but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus. Yes, yes, Jesus loves me. What if we just trusted and believed the Bible is true? What if we just believed Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And when I'm feeling weak, he's strong. When I'm weak, he's strong. When I'm afraid, he's God. I just wonder what would happen in your life. Would you have less regrets if you maybe simplified your faith? If you just trusted the Lord and ended the toxic relationship instead of staying in it? If you just trusted the Lord and wrote the book or wrote the song or released the content, If you just trusted the Lord and really gave of your finances instead of keeping it out of scarcity. If you really just trusted the Lord and gave your life over to him completely, not partly, not half your foot in, half your foot out. 
If you just trusted the Lord and forgave the people, you know you must forgive. I'm not going to hold that anymore. I give that to you, Lord. If you just trusted the Lord to lift you out of fear and depression and anxiety and substance, if you just said, okay, Lord, I can't do it anymore, I'm powerless. If you just trusted the Lord to save your family, coworkers, if you really trusted the Lord to send that invite, you know, you could send a text any moment and invite somebody to Jesus and invite somebody to church. If you just trusted the Lord to live a holy, righteous life, And if they don't want you because you want to be pure, then they shouldn't have you. Friends, what if we simplified it? And what if we really just trusted God and took him at his word? I wonder if we would have less regrets in our life. I believe in him. I believe he's the God who encourages those who need encouragement. And he's going to meet you when you trust him and just simply say, the Bible tells me So, and then live it. In verse eight, Paul writes to them, he says, guys, I'm not sorry that I sent you a severe letter, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while, but now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. (laughs) It was this kind of sorrow God wants his people to have so you were not harmed by us in any way. I want to read something to you. um, And before I read verse 10, I want to read something to you. um, And... Um, it's, it's really about what happens. Um, um, it's really about what happens to those who are willing to stay in the kingdom of God. It says this, it says, accountability is not church hurt. Being held to a holy standard is not gaslighting. Being sat down to grow up isn't abuse. Be thankful people have loved you enough to not let you act like a fool. The enemy wants you offended by those God has called to protect you. Don't run from covering. We all have a target on our back and it's open season on the family of God. Stay where you're protected. I I, I really appreciated that language and, and no doubt there is definitely people who are abusive in church and church leadership. And nobody's perfect, but when Paul is like, hey, I'm glad I sent you this, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways, these people were out of pocket. And Paul's like, hey, you need to fix this. And if this causes you some discomfort, I'm not gaslighting you. I'm 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 not trying to instill values that aren't from the Lord but you're wrong, you're in sin, and you need to fix it. And if this discomfort causes you a little pain, better you have a little short-term pain for a long-term gain than to stay comfortable and not experience all God has for you, because if you don't, you will have regret. Verse 10, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. 
There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. See, Paul makes a distinction between sorrow and repentance. Sorrow describes a feeling, but repentance describes a change in mind, heart, and life. Repentance is not sorrow only. It is sadness. This is godly sorrow. It's sadness for a lifestyle that's hurtful to oneself and that misses God. But it is fueled by a heart to change and give God everything. <clears throat> have, you, have you ever had buyer's remorse before? Yes. Yeah, just <laughs> I heard every single lady on the front row. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> What, how do we end up with buyer's remorse, right? Well, we're impulsive. We get caught up in the moment. Yeah. We, we get something expensive that we probably can't afford or shouldn't. We didn't think about other things we got to pay for. We put it on the credit card. And then when we get home and we're experiencing it, we kind of regret it. Anybody been there? Yeah. When I, I was, I almost bought a, a couch the other day and it, it was a good deal. Um, and I really wanted it, but I just kept wrestling and wrestling. And my philosophy typically on, on large purchases are, I need to sleep on this. They will, there will be another deal. My wife doesn't believe that there will be, <laughs> but they, there will be another sale. And, and I, I like to sleep on stuff. And so when I'm feeling the pressure, whoo, I, no, I got to get out. I got to get out. Nobody is going to sell me. But I think sometimes uh, we can get caught up. And I think here's what happens to people, particularly, particularly who don't allow godly sorrow to take full resident in their life. What happens is people get in the rhythm of buying sin or buying things they can't afford. Or even more practically, if you get in a rhythm of buying things and swiping that credit card and you find yourself in so much debt, you start to say, well, what's another swipe? What's another thou? What's another, what's a little more, I mean, at this point, at this point. And what happens to people is people live their lives for themselves and have so much buyer's remorse or worldly sorrow that they start to stuff it down where some don't even feel a sense of sorrow anymore, which is why we have a world that we live in that is so insane. It's why we have a world where people feel no sorrow to harm children, uh, where we have no sorrow to confuse children, to take advantage of people because we stuff this stuff down so deeply and people know there's something off. They're kind of sad, but they're dead inside. Where Paul is like, no, it's good for you to feel. It's good for you to have some sadness and some conviction. Uh, it's really helpful when you get a little uncomfortable. So you know what, Corinthian church, you know what? If I say some things from the pulpit or if I write you some letters and it, it, it aggravates you a little bit, good. I love you. I'm not trying to be like this all the time, but at the same time, my job is to get you to heaven. 
My job is to help you live a life of no regrets. And same goes for me in this pulpit, church, whom I love dearly and deeply. I don't really get upset if you get upset by the word of God. My job is to get you to heaven and help you live a life with no regrets. And so the reality is, if you are feeling some discomfort around the life and the lifestyle that you're living, feel that. Let that breathe a little. And if you are dead inside and you can sense intellectually, maybe something's not right, or the word of God is starting to poke through a little bit, let it happen. Feel again. Feel a sense of conviction. Holy, oh my goodness, God is real. And maybe I'm not right. See, godly sorrow leads you to Jesus. It leads you to change. Godly sorrow is an alarm clock that something's off. Godly sorrow is an alarm clock that something needs to change. Godly sorrow is an alarm clock that you should repent, pray, and go to Jesus. Worldly sorrow, it will only lead to regret and depression and sadness and deeper sin and greater debt and poorer decisions and continual brokenness and unnecessary sickness to your body and anxieties and on and on and on and on and on. You can gain the world but lose your soul. That is regret. In verse 11, Paul says, just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You show that you have done everything necessary to make things right. What Paul's saying is, is this godly sorrow, when you allow yourself to feel, when you begin to repent, it leads to repentance, it leads to turning your ways, it leads to good things. Walking with Jesus... It leads to a clear mind. It leads to earnestness. It leads to motivation. It leads to a pure heart. It leads to righteousness. It leads to good godly indignation. It leads to good works. It leads to passion. It leads to zeal for the right things, true justice. When you really allow yourself to feel and say, okay, God, what are you doing in me? I repent for the way I'm living. What happens is, is you begin to turn around and God heals you and he sets you on the rock and he sets your feet in the right path. All of a sudden you begin to feel and think the right way. And that's where hope comes. I want to close my message today telling you the old story of the great king and pauper. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't, but there was this pauper, this poor beggar who he would sit on the busy strip of his village and he would beg and he would hold up a small cup of kernels, of rice kernels, and he would shake it. You would hear it. And he would shout every day, alms for the poor. Alms for the poor. And he would hope that people would drop coins in his cup or that people would give him some food and He'd been poor for so long. He, he, he had been damaged for so long. He had been forgotten for so long. This is all he knew to do was to think about surviving for this day. And one day, 
As he's sitting in the public square, he hears that the king is going to visit his village. And he got this thought that when the king comes, if, if he could just make eye contact with the king, if, if he could just see the king, if the king could see him, a pauper in his kingdom, then, then maybe the king would just take care of him. And so for weeks, he just kept thinking about how do I get close enough to see the king? And he knew that with the king coming, there would be a caravan of people. There would be horses and soldiers and perfume in the air. And it would be something unlike the village had never seen. And so for days before he was inching closer towards the street, moving his mat, moving his sick body. And the day finally came. And as the day finally came, you could sense and feel it in the air. And sure enough, in the distance, he could hear the horses. He could smell the perfume. And he could see the soldiers. And his heart was beating. And he was just anticipating, this is my moment to get out. This is my one chance for my life to change. And as the king approached, the pauper is shaking his rice, screaming, alms for the poor! Alms for the poor! And it was not customary in that time for anyone to make eye contact with the king, let alone touch the king. But the king tells the caravan to stop. He gets off of his white horse and he starts to approach the pauper. And just imagine for a second if you're the pauper, what would be going on in your mind and in your heart? And the king looks at him and the king asks the pauper, he says, give me your rice. And the pauper was so perplexed. And he said, how dare you ask for my rice? I, I, am, I am poor, I am dying, and you are wealthy, and you're asking for what I have. But what was he to do as all eyes are turned towards him? And so he goes into his kernels of rice, and he takes one kernel out. And he gingerly puts it in the king's hand. He takes another kernel out. And he gingerly puts it in the king's hand. And he stops. And the king puts the kernels in his pocket. And he goes and grabs his bag of gold. And he takes one coin, puts it in his cup. Two coins, puts it in his cup. He gets back on his horse and he rides away. And the pauper stands there in total shock, in total disbelief, and more than anything, in total regret, thinking to himself, what if I would have just given the king everything? What would have happened had I had just taken all my rice and just said, you're the king, it's your kingdom, here. 
Would he have given me the whole bag of gold? Would he have taken me on the horse with him? My life would have been changed forever, but now I sit here with two coins that might get me through a week, but I'll have regret for the rest of my life. And the question for you today is the king is here. And some of you, you've given the king one, maybe two kernels of rice, but he's looking for everything. And what he gives you in return is matchless. Today is the day of salvation. The king is here. What are you going to do about it? Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially want to thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it, and post your social stories and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again, and God bless you.